Hi there, I'm Neve Shaw and this is Humans of Space, a podcast about curious people. More specifically, it's chats with people that I've met along the journey so far in getting to space. People from many parts of the world, people who've inspired me, people who do interesting things, know interesting stuff, have figured out great things, or people who want to change the world. Curious people who are happy to chat with me about their lives, their passions, and explore together what drives us to be the people we need to be. I like to think that Humans of Space is a blend of space, science, curiosity, and creativity for ears of all kinds. But I guess that's up to you to decide. Speaking today with Fabio Teixeira, a Chief Executive Officer of Hypercubes, a company involved with using satellite data for agricultural applications. Fabio has big ideas and wants to make a big impact on the world in terms of making a positive change. I crossed paths with Fabio on the Space Studies programme in 2015 and we got on really well. He's highly motivated but he has this ability to think really big and has a genuine interest in people and a desire to make the world a better place. Specialising in space and these big ideas, he's been on quite a journey over the years, originally from Brazil. He's a really interesting guy and I hope you enjoy our chat today. So hello, Fabio. Um, Where are you and what time is it where you are right now? I am in uh, California, uh, Silicon Valley, and it's uh, almost 3 p.m. How are you guys getting on with pandemic? Well, when we thought it couldn't get any worse, we got all the forest fires on top of the COVID. It's been challenging, a, a very difficult year to deal with the pandemics and, and the uh, forest fires at the same time. Yeah. But uh, we're yeah. getting there. I saw the pictures that you posted of the orange skies. It was like living on Mars, wasn't it? That was one of the most interesting experiences I've, I've been through. I woke up and the entire skies were not a little bit orange, but very, very orange. It did feel like uh, Blade Runner 2049, the movie. But it was uh, a day of introspection. It was a wake-up call. Can you just tell us a little bit about your business. Just a brief overview would be great to kind of put in context what it is you're trying to achieve. Uh, sure. Um, I am CEO, founder and CEO of a Silicon Valley-based company named Hypercubes. Uh, we initially started as a remote sensing company developing hyperspectral engine satellites, a system of artificial intelligence. Uh, but in the process of putting our products out there, we realized there's a massive gap between space industry and industries on Earth that could benefit from these technologies. And little by little, we're building supporting technologies. And when we realize we're actually building an entire space program focused uh, initially on agriculture. Our goal is to study um, plant phenomics at a global scale with the high spectral, high spatial, and high temporal resolution. So we can assist growers across the planet uh, with information down to the molecule composition of plants and what's happening to different kinds of crops, different genotypes in different places on the planet, and how to best manage these crops. Why does that matter to you so much? We are 
in a critical moment in human history. And what I like about space that space brings us this overview capability, understanding the whole. And when we talk about climate change, most people think about fossil fuel cars or massive factories, but the very few people think about the impact of agriculture on the planet. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, we have two and a half more uh, billion people coming online, meaning uh, we're going to have to figure out a way to produce more food, but sustainably. So it's mm. a double challenge. I decided to focus on agriculture for, for this reason. And I think it's a massive challenge. We obviously don't have the pretension to solve the problem, but we do want to put out there a tool that can give us this global in-depth understanding of what's happening every inch of the planet. I mm -hmm. think uh, the step number one to fight this monster is information, right? You can only improve mm -hmm. what we can measure and we need to build this infrastructure that can allow us to understand what's happening all the time and everywhere. Did you always care about the planet or is this something that developed as you walked more and more into the space sector? No, it happened gradually uh, mm. when I first came to Silicon Valley to attend the Singularity University program back in 2010. You put together uh, brilliant people from across the planet to study exponential technologies and how we can use these new tools to address global warming challenges. That's when I first studied in depth uh, mm. where we were in terms of, you know, how, how deep are the problems. Yeah. And uh, working with technology my entire life, I obviously fell in love with space and the heartbeat. And I immediately saw that space holds uh, the key to many problems that we have on Earth. And the yeah. reason is because when we talk about, you know, going back to the moon or going to Mars or even putting satellite in space, these are so such hard things to accomplish uh, from a technical point of view, financial point of view, that when you take that mindset that uh, where you have to be in a creativity mode all the time and you apply this back to Earth, the, I can see that there are many, many, many problems that could have been solved already if we had approach this problem with this space mindset, right? And yeah. so over then the past decade of being focused on educating myself on space technologies and, and space exploration with the sole purpose of, okay, how can we apply this mindset to solve our problems here? I think the way you frame a problem is 50% of the work. It's the kind of thing that the more you study, the more you get yourself educated, the more you realize the, how deep the problem is. Yeah. I was extremely ignorant about all these problems over a decade ago. And it's a steep learning curve. And yeah. uh, I've been privileged to be uh, select for this program and flip my life to be in Silicon Valley, thinking with some of the brightest minds of my generation in applying this uh, mindset to to leave a legacy, right? To trying to lead by the example 
and hopefully uh, have other people to come on board and join force and say this is something that's really worth fighting for. The good news is that we have now tools that I've never had before. If you think that, if you compare the technology we had in back in the 60s and what we have now, putting in a man on the moon 50 years ago was close to a miracle. I'm very driven by challenges, by problems, and, and this is a massive problem. But in the global scale of the problems that we face, uh, they, they seem very uh, unsurmountable. But I like to think that in every fight, there, there seems that there's always a group of people that refuse to give up. I chose to dedicate my life for this, um, and it was really hard to, to get here um, personally, but I do not regret one single thing. Getting a place on Singularity University, that in itself is a huge achievement because, as you say, it's a gathering of your contemporaries and the greatest minds, future leaders, how did you manage to get a place on Singularity University? It was interesting. In, in all honesty, Singularity was two years old. I didn't know much about it or the founders, Peter Diamens or Rick Kurzweil. And um, what they did back then was essentially they wanted to expand overseas. And uh, like me, they wanted to start by Brazil. And they put together a partnership with my university. And as a result, they were supposed to give a spot to the 2010 summer program to uh, an individual from Brazil. Yeah. And what Brazil did, uh, they put together a country competition uh, where the idea was, what can you do? What problem can you solve to help um, in, in Brazil to help uh, improve the lives of 10 million people in your country. And uh, back then I was working with the Brazilian version of Waze. Uh, I used to call it weak traffic, something that started developing in 2008. We have a massive traffic problem in Brazil. So I applied with that, uh, that project and uh, clearing phase by phase and, and eventually I won the competition. There are about 400 people competing for that one spot. Wow. I won. I won the spot. And here I am three months later at NAS Ames, California. Wow. With a bunch of people that I only knew from Discovery Channel. Wow. Uh, it was a very intimidating experience. Yeah. You co-leave the guy that invented the internet. You co-leave with the guy leading uh, research on longevity. Wow. Um, the youngest guy in my class, uh, David, David was 17 years old. He was at his second year of his PhD at MIT. Wow. Uh, it is really impressive. But what caught my attention was these people, they, they didn't care about their career. They care about social impact to do what they do best in the benefit of others. Yeah. And that was when everything changed to me. I was given an opportunity to get to know, to see the future 10, 20, 50 years ahead of 99% of the people. And I left this huge uh, feeling of responsibility. Of, I have to do something with this. It's a powerful network where you have people 
across all sorts of industries and sectors in society. Whenever I need a favor or I need to know, you know, find the expert in a particular subject, all I have to do is go to my LinkedIn or my Facebook and say, hey, who should I talk to if I want to talk to, I don't know, um, orbiter dynamics or geostatistical modeling system. And in 30 minutes, I'm connected to this person. And that's very, very helpful when you're trying to change the world. You need to find the best out there, right? Yeah. And that must have been a fantastic resource for you. We met then five years later in 2015 on the Space Studies program, and you seem to be much more focused than myself. Like I just loved space, but I didn't really know what it was about it that, that had drawn me to it. I had a deep social conscience, but that was it. But you seem to have yourself much more together than I did. But you then went on. And if you can share the story of how you managed to finally get hypercubes off the ground and the sacrifices that you made personally uh, to make that happen, because you give me great strength, Fabio, sometimes when I'm having days of difficulty. So if you could just tell us a little bit about those hard days and then the day it changed. Of course. Thank you for the kind words. The program was over. I was here for three months, but it's a very intensive program. It felt like I was here for three years. Uh, here I am back in Brazil, and going back to Brazil was like being the only person on Mars. I just couldn't yeah. reconnect with my friends and family because I was inside this institution where my professors, faculty, was talking about how we're going to extend human life so people can live three, four, five hundred years. So we get used to kind of, that's the day-to-day. And eventually here I am back in Brazil where, you know, my friends want to talk about things that I was no longer interested in. Yeah. So that was really hard. We call this the, uh, the decompression phase, the re-entry. Mm-hmm. It took me a year, but the bug was still in my ear and decided to go to space school. And uh, within two weeks in space school, I realized that I could not uh, work and study at the same time. This is our reality in Brazil. Like I come from humble beginnings. Yeah. And um, in the bar conversation, a couple of friends, they wanted to know what is it like to live in NASA, to live with astronauts and all that stuff. Uh, I ordered a drink, uh, like cocktails. Cocktail took about 30, 45 minutes to get to my table. Right there, we started kind of technically trying to solve the problem. By the end of the night, we had a, this the draft of a robotic bartender. Two weeks later, we found someone that was willing to put money into that project. And I thought to myself, this is not what I want to do, but if I work on this thing for a year, I can sell it and, and get back to my thing, right? Space. I put together a prototype within 60 days, uh, but to turn that prototype into a product that I could actually yeah. commercialize, that people could actually drink from, it took me three years. You know, FDA and all that stuff. We used to call it the booze box. Uh, booze box, very good. Booze box. <laughs> we successfully... <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, I got to tell you this, it was a fun project to, to test, yeah. calibration. I can imagine, yeah. We launched this thing in Brazil successfully with Pernod Ricard or Absolute Vodka, but it was yeah. it was a pretty bad time. It was when uh, in 20, 
2012, 2013, when the first uh, corruption scandals came online. And for the first time, Brazil went out in the streets to protest, to riot, something that we never saw in the history of the country. Uh, we couldn't raise the money that we need for mass production. That was really frustrating because I was getting emails all the time. I want to buy it. I want to rent it. But at some point I realized, you know, this is not going to go anywhere. I will have to start from scratch and figure out a way to do what I want to, to, to do what I'm passionate about. Yeah. So I then signed up for ISU, the International Space University, where we met yeah. uh, five years ago. They gave me a partial scholarship. I could not afford paying the remainder um, mm -hmm. because I had invested all my resources on the Bose box. I put together a uh, online campaign, a crowdfunding campaign, where I was telling people who I am, what I care about, and why I wanted to go to, to ISU. I spoke with the Ministry of Science, Education, Energy, the Brazilian Space Agency, the, uh, the National Institute for Space Research, in over 400 universities, and I could not raise one penny. Wow. Um, a year has passed, and here I'm working at Harker Cubes at NASA, and, and that's Ames in California, the very, very beginning. Uh, and then the RSU called me and said, hey, Fabio, a year has passed. Um, how, how is it going? Are, are you ready now? Are you ready to commit financially? And then to them, no. Um, as a matter of fact, now it's even worse. I am depressed with the financial life in pieces. Yeah. I find myself between my responsibilities and my dreams. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And my responsibilities, I mean, uh, my son. You know, yeah. uh, when you have family and kid, it's you know things gets way, way, way. Uh, more difficult, complicated, harder, yeah. complicated. Yeah. yeah. But I, I didn't want to give up, and and um, I knew that to do what I wanted to do, I had to go through ISU, right? Yeah. Uh, then I asked again if they could save my half scholarship for another year, and they said, "I'm not sure, Fabio. We never, we've never done this before." We need uh, resources to, you know, to keep the institution. I'll talk to the president, but uh, I'll ask you, please keep expectations low because, again, we've never done this before. Yeah. And a week later, they called me and essentially said, Fabio, we've been following your online campaign. I can see that you've done everything that you could have done to be here with us. And we decided then to give you a full scholarship. Wow. So that was one of those days that you're, you know, you, you, I, I don't even have words because before that I was living for about four years in, in the dark, um, yeah. alone, um, um, without understanding what and what would be the next step for me to, to do what I want to do, to follow my dream, yeah? to get out of Brazil, 
come to Silicon Valley, start a company, raise money, find a place to stay, find a lab. These are really, really hard things. Uh, and that was the very first new, good news in, in four years. Um, I was emotionally just living one day after the other mm-hmm. without knowing whether I would have the financial resources to pay for my, my living, my housing, and mm-hmm. my kid. And that is a brutal experience. So being accepted, the full scholarship at ISU was, I mean, something that I cannot describe. It was one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. That was one obstacle. But like for you to get your investor for Hypercubes, that was another moment that was really, really, really hard on you as well, wasn't it? That was very, very hard because we're building space technologies and space is very expensive. Well, it's not as expensive as it used to be, but it's still very expensive. We're not building a iPhone app. We're building yeah. spacecraft. That requires a lot of money. And when it comes to small satellites, we're not the first ones. There are other people developing small satellites with uh, way far ahead than we were. And so how to make the next uh, step happen? We signed up for the Singularity University Incubator Program. Eventually, we won a spot after proving them the, the benefits and the capability of hyperspectral imaging with the experiment that I did at, uh, while I was a student at ISU, uh, yeah. tracking fracking, essentially yes, tracking methane leaks. Yeah. That gave us um, some cash, uh, just enough to you know be in Silicon Valley it's a very expensive place and work for a year in developing the core of technology. Eventually, we were exposed to several investors and one person, one guy realized that uh, we're not doing this for money. We're not doing this for, you know, to sell the company five, 10 years later. We're doing this because this is the legacy we wanted to build. This yeah. is our thank you note for the gift of life. And he realized then if I were to invest, I would invest in a person that is committed for, for life on a project like this, right? Um, I don't know how to build tech, but I, I can invest. So that's how we found the investor. This person brought in not only money, but brought in such a you feel the partnerships in there. You feel like this person wants to take care of you as a team and realizes the amount of work we have in our hands and wants to put in place everything that we need. Uh, that's not only the financial resource, but having access to the best doctors, taking care of your health, make sure you're exercising. It sounds like nothing from an outsider, from, a, from someone in my shoes where I've been my entire life fighting in the trenches by myself and eventually have this person committed to help you and to be with you no matter what. This is the investment that I needed. When you describe that and and all the years that you put into getting that off the ground and getting that person to finally find you, because I'm sure he was looking for you as much as you were looking for them, take such tenacity and strength. Where does that strength and belief, even when you're up against the odds, even when you're not the person, you know, that comes from the wealthy background, where does that come from for you? That's that's a very good question. 
I, I come from a very um, humble family where resilience, it's a default trait. You have to have that to go through life. My father is a retired truck driver. My mother is a retired seamstress. And they still have to work to, you know, uh, survive. And I early in life realized that uh, what gets people achieve success is not so much how talented you are and what you know, but mostly about resilience. Yeah. And resilience for me... It's built upon two major pillars. One is where are you going to invest your energy, your mind, and in your heart? Is this something that is worth your time, that is worth your life and your efforts? And the second thing is ego, being able to realize that this is not about you. It's about something much bigger than you. You know, keep my ego in check. Am I doing this for the right reasons? Once you're in a place like Silicon Valley, these opportunities are, it happens all the time. I often like to look at my life, Nave, uh, and I, I don't you know, sound like a cliche, but uh, when, when Jobs, Steve Jobs said, you know, when you look in the future, you don't see anything, everything is very uncertain, but when looking back and connected dots, everything makes sense. Yeah. Four or five years I lived without the financial security to pay for the things that I, I needed to survive. I went through this period in life where it was an exercise of I know what is it like to not having anything, not having nothing, right? But just having the people that I need around me mm. to keep me going. Mm. And when you're in that situation, you learn how to read people. You learn Mm -hmm. how to understand quickly what it is worth your efforts, what it is worth your brain, your soul, and heart. I got out on the other side with no attachment to money, with no attachment to a fancy life. I like to think that that helps, helps me keep my company pursuing the right reasons to say mm-hmm. no to anything that can potentially threat who we are as a company. We are a private commercial VC funded company. Money for us is just a tool. Right? We're using yes. capitalism itself to hack the system and build something quickly and fast mm-hmm. that can actually provide some sort of value to us as a species. I meet a lot of people all the time. I meet billionaires, millionaires, and um, I've turned down a couple offers, multi-million dollars offers, just because I knew this investment would, would derail the company. You would be surprised how many investors like the ones we have, like the ones we're looking for, exist out there. They're just out there. They're just looking for companies that are, guys, I understand you're you're a for-profit company, but, you know, I'd rather put my money into a bold, ambitious project and actually give to philanthropy. And if I want to risk my money, I want to risk on, on something that's 
ambitious. I don't care if it's going to take 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, but I'm looking for a company or a group of individuals that they truly care about the problem. And these are the people we're looking for. And, and there are quite a few of them out there. Quite a few. When you were a young boy in Brazil, were you always a big thinker, a dreamer? I was different. I didn't care about the things that my friends cared about. Mm. It's when I actually asked my parents to sign me up for a electrical engineering online course uh, on their name so I could have access to the books. That's when I Brilliant. learned about electrical engineering. And by the age of 15, I had my own radio station that I built myself. Grace. Uh, <laughs> and my weekends were essentially broadcasting Depeche Mode on a 50 kilometers radius. I was curious about electrical engineering back then, and it was like a, a black magic to me. I was fascinated about how electricity would work, how to turn that into radio frequencies, and how yeah. computers would work, and going around my neighborhood asking whether they had a piece of a equipment that was broken so I could uh, uh, take the parts that I needed to build my projects. Uh, because I couldn't afford buying these components. And, and that was pretty much my entire teenage years, uh, building things. You seem to know who you were. Looking back now, I was aware that I was different, but there was a big feeling of uh, I was uneasy. I was unsettled. I was yeah. looking for the thing that I didn't know what was called. Yeah. I didn't know what was the name, and I didn't know who were the people that could help me get there. But I was always in this mode of looking for it. Do you think that came from something very young, something that inspired you, something you saw, someone you met, something you read? I don't connect it to anyone in particular. I think I was fascinated about the idea of who I could be if I educated myself, I had this feeling of evolving through learning, through studies, through research, and what should be my role in society? Trying to push the bar as high as I could and hoping that in the process I would find like-minded people, putting out their ambitious ideas and mm. see who would resonate with these ideas. Mm. These were the people that I would hang out with. You knew that there was something other than your life as it was. So how did you know there was another way or that you had to find your tribe? I guess this is what uh, defines an entrepreneur, right? It's, it's yeah. you know, when you don't have a manual, when you don't have instructions, whatever it's inside of you, these are the tools you have to make it happen. And eventually you worked it out, um, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm now in the, in, in the right place, uh, assisted by the right people, but there's still a lot of work to, um, to get done. My son, despite of his young age, he understood that what I was pursuing was something worth pursuing. And on my side, if there's one thing that I, as a parent, as a father, I should definitely teach my my kid was 
no matter what, always fight for your dreams, go for it. He's really proud of what we do, we are, and it's often asking me to come to school and had my friends want to talk to you, they want to know what you're doing, when's the next rocket launch, that kind of stuff. What I tell them is, look, we've been privileged to have access to private education. We have to be responsible. When it comes to space stuff, what I do is just expose him to, you know, things that we do and, and places that we go or astronauts mm-hmm. that we meet. But it's up to him to decide of what he wants to do. And then last question, Fabio, when will you know that the thing that you're chasing has been achieved? Often I feel very alone in the vision that I've decided to pursue. Being a CEO, a leader, it's uh-huh. a very lonely path. I think building an entire space program, uh, it's definitely something that we want to see built quickly. But uh, I think when I see all the people embracing the vision, even though yeah. we haven't built Richard yet, but having all the people embracing the vision, it's when I feel like, okay, um, there is a higher chance now that we're going to achieve this because I'm no longer um, alone. So all this to say that uh, I think we're living a critical moment in the history of humankind and technology is just a tool, but what we need now is the revolution of all revolutions, which is the revolution of the mind, yeah. uh, a mindset shift. And that's only going to happen when you lead by example, when you see other people dedicating their entire lives to solve a problem, because that is powerful. Fabio, it's been brilliant. You live by your name. You are fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing your story today with us. Thank you for the opportunity to share this with the, with the world. Can't wait to uh, hear about the other speakers coming. These are the people I've been looking for. Thanks, Fabio. If you like this podcast or if you like what I do, or if you'd like to know more or have a question, you can sign up for updates on my website, neveshaw.ie. This podcast is funded by my loyal Patreon subscribers, the subscription content service that allows me to create and share exclusive videos, advanced episodes of this podcast, provide special deals and discounted offers for patrons of my work. And thanks to those patrons, I get to make the work I want to make and can continue in my mission to get to space in earnest. And in return, I get to include them all in the adventures every step of the way. I couldn't do any of it without their support and I will be forever grateful to them. So thanks. And maybe you'd like to become a patron too. So if you would like to support my mission to get to space as storyteller, further details of Patreon's membership benefits and about this podcast, upcoming events and activities, they're all available from my website, neveshaw.ie account. I'd love to hear from you. But we can connect in other ways too. If you're on Twitter, my handle is Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. If you're on Instagram, it's Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. Or on Facebook, follow my page, Get Neve to Space. If you just want to watch more content, you can check out my videos on my YouTube channel, Neve Shaw. Humans of Space is produced by Mark Gardner and Catherine Cunning at Oxford Sound Studio, Oxford in the UK, with music by Tom Beasley. <laughs>